0: is A to Z with Mark Zinno, part of Locked On Sports Atlanta, and it starts now. Good afternoon. Welcome to A to Z here on Locked on Sports Atlanta, where today I tell you, you got to go deep if you want to find improvement. Welcome in. We are live here on this Monday and a jam-packed show for you guys today. We have a lot to get to with the Atlanta Braves, even former Atlanta Braves, that we will discuss after the weekend that was, of course, The PGA Championship ends in very dramatic fashion. We had a horse race, if you guys care about that sort of thing as well. NBA playoffs, NHL playoffs. It was just a jam-packed weekend full of sports. I enjoyed all of it. And thank you guys for choosing A to Z here on your Monday as part of your daily sports listen at Locked On Sports Atlanta. Follow us on Twitter at Locked On ATL. Of course, I'm at Mark Zino M-A-R-K-Z-I-N-N-O. All right, I want to start today with um, the Atlanta Falcons, and in particular – one player. I came across a column on Sports.com that talked about players that were poised to make a jump in 2022. You know, players that were supposed to have a big leap into this season. And there were names on there like Tua Tagovailoa, you know, of Miami. He's got Tyreek Hill now. He's got, you know, all these, these weapons on offense. Gabriel Davis of the Buffalo Bills. You know, Irv Smith, the tight end for the Minnesota Vikings, uh, Quinny Payne, the DN for the Indianapolis Colts, shot, Bateman of the Ravens—these were just some of the names on this list. And when I read the the headline, "Players that are poised for a huge improvement," the first name that popped into my head was Kyle Pitts. Now, Kyle Pitts had a very good rookie campaign, he had a very good season. Um, you know, I don't think that he had a great year, but I think he, he had a really good year. And when you start to look at how we're going to measure Kyle Pitts and how we're going to measure what he's able to accomplish in this league, obviously the numbers are a big part of it. Um, Look, when you are a pass catcher, the amount of balls you catch, the amount of yards you run for, and the amount of touchdowns that you bring your team are all critical parts of measuring what type of player that you are. It, It just is a fact of the matter. Uh, And while stats don't tell the whole story, at least in the the receiver business, they kind of tell a big part of it, right? Um, The guys who do the most of those, catch the most balls, run for the most yards and get the most touchdowns for their team are the guys who make the most money. That's literally what it boils down to. So the very best in the game, see Devontae Adams who got like, you know, a hundred million dollars does it because he does it better than everybody else. You can get into the nuanced stuff about how good their hands are, their catch radius, their route running, their blocking, all those things. And I think that's a big part of it. Um, Because football obviously goes deeper than numbers, but still, ultimately, the numbers are what you're going to be judged on first. And I think I'm okay with that. Um, and then you, you, you look at Kyle Pitts and you start to say, well, are we going to be able to judge him fairly? He had Matt Ryan last year, a terrible offensive line, no running game, uh, on a team that averaged less than 20 points a game, and still put up a 1,000-yard season and had a whopping one touchdown uh then he goes into this year entire team is in turnover 45 million dead against the cap you have marcus Mariota starting at quarterback or possibly even a rookie your offensive line hasn't gotten that much better uh we don't know if we have any more running game like there's no help around kyle pitts at this point in time and oh by the way they drafted a guy who's supposed to theoretically catch as many balls as he did last year so there's less ball to go around when he's not the prime number one target, as he was for a bulk of last season with Calvin Ridley sitting out for most of the year. So, how do we judge Kyle Pitts? Well, let's look at a couple of numbers here, uh, at least from 2021, that I think are worthwhile looking at. Now, I'm not going to necessarily get hung up on the yardage. A thousand yards th- in this NFL anymore doesn't matter. Like, a thousand yards is not enough it's 66 yards a game being being a thousand yard receiver doesn't do it for you unless you combine it with something else yards after the catch a ton of touchdowns yards per catch whatever it may be or just sheer volume catches if you're catching 115 balls granted if it's only for you know 1100 yards that's not a great yards per catch but that's what Wes Welker made a living off of right Michael Thomas makes a living off that He'll catch 110 balls and have 1,100 yards. He he has, like, no yards after the catch, none. It's not his style. So Kyle Pitts last year had 1,026 yards, and he got it in the final game of the regular season, right? Um, And and it was just one of those deals where they got him across the finish line for 1,000 yards. Yes, I want to see his yardage go up. Is 1,200 realistic for a, quote, tight end? Uh, Yes and no. Considering the very best ones do it at that level, the Travis Kelseys of the world, the George Kittles, you know, uh, all those, the Zach Ertz's during his heyday, all those guys, you know, that's where they were. Uh, The Rob Gronkowski's in his prime. Those are the numbers those guys put up. And they didn't do it on like 100. I mean, Kelsey does it on 100 catches because he's in a completely different offense. But, you know, Kittle didn't do it. Gronkowski didn't get 100 catches like that. They, They were 70 catch guys, 75 catch guys, and they put up huge, huge seasons. So I'd like to see his numbers get up around above 1,100, 1,200 yards. I think that's fair. Look, he only had three 100-yard receiving games last year. And that's, you know, I don't necessarily need to see more of that because a lot of tight end games are feast or famine, right? He had 163 yards uh, in one game against Miami, and then the next week had 13. He had six targets. He had two less targets in a game. He had eight targets and got 163 yards. He had six targets and got 13. The week before, he had nine targets and, and only got 50. So it's hard to figure out, you know, what the correlation is. It's just feast or famine when it comes to tight ends, just because of the way they're using the scheme. So let's not get hung up necessarily on yards, although I think it's important. A huge number for Kyle Pitts last year was his yards per catch, right? Because this is a measure of not only, you know, how good of a receiver you are, but how they use you and how you can stretch the field and how you can change things for defenses. Of players who caught at least 50 balls last year, Kyle Pitts was sixth in yards per catch at 15.1. The guys in front of them, Debo Samuel, Jamar Chase, Tyler Lockett, Van Jefferson, and A.J. Green, strangely, uh, with, with the Arizona Cardinals last year. When you have a 15 yards of catcher higher, you are somebody that is going right down the field. Or you've got a huge yak, right? It's a short catch and you're running. But the point is, is that every time you touch the ball, it's a big play. That's how you get that. Number. Like the, the, Those are big play guys. Debo Samuel, big play guy. Jamar Chase, big play guy. Tyler Lockett, big play guy. That's a good thing to have. That's a number he should hit again next year without hesitation. If that number comes down, I have concerns. I have legitimate concerns because I don't want Kyle Pitts to be a guy that is seven yards turn around and gets tackled he's one of the fastest guys on the football field and one of the biggest he's not supposed to go down easy there should be a ton of yak for him wherever he goes and he should be able to be a mismatch down the middle of the field against a linebacker or a safety that's why he was drafted fourth overall so they need to continue to use him in that manner another area that we're going to look at and that is How many catches did he get last year for first downs? Not many people pay attention to this. However, Kyle Pitts caught 68 balls last year. 43 of those catches were for first downs. For the math majors out there, that's better than 63%. So almost two out of every three times Kyle Pitts caught a ball, it netted a first down. I want to see that number repeat itself. Why? Because he moves the chains why because on third down we trust he can get in the ball why because he keeps drives alive he keeps his defense off the field all those things are important that is a key number and i i couldn't measure it up against other guys you know as far as who, how many other guys in the league I'll, I'll have to dig deeper and get back to you on it but to me that feels like 66 or 63 percent. but two out of every three catches is a first down that's a really good number that's a really good number so Again, I am somebody who, when I look at all this and I want to try to measure improvement, yes, he only had one touchdown last year. I'm very well aware of it, folks. I I, I don't know how to justify that. I'm not going to try and justify it. Arthur Smith has to get him the ball in the end zone more often. That's just what it is. I, I, there's just no way around it. If he doesn't do it, then that's on him. It really is. Like, that That, that really is on him. I, I can't make it any more simple than that. Kyle Pitts has got to be better than a one-touchdown-a-year a guy. Five to six, yeah. Seven to ten would be glorious. But I don't know that we're going to get that kind of number. I really don't. Like, I just I, I don't know that we're going to get him in that range. And again, also, you have, you know, uh, Drake London now on the team. He was a big jump ball guy, and, you know, they'll use him a lot in the red zone as well. So it'll be interesting to see uh, where the touchdown share goes through the passing game. But I think when we look at Kyle Pitts this year and we see him going forward, I think you measure the yards per catch. I think you measure the first downs. I think you measure the total number of receptions he gets and then the yards. And I would put him really in that order. He's got to get better than 75 receptions next year. He's got to. They've got to find a way to feed him the ball closer to 100 times over the course of the year. If you don't, you drafted a guy fourth to put up second or third wide receiver numbers. And that's problematic. Can't do it. They have got to scheme him the ball on a routine basis. You know, he had 110 targets last year. When you look at sort of targets for the guys who have the most targets in the league, the highest level guys who who continually routinely Cooper Cup saw 191 targets. Tyree Kill saw 159. Travis Kelsey saw 134. I mean, you know, Zach Ertz and Mike Gusecki saw 112. So do you want to be in the Zach Ertz, Mike Gusecki range, or do you want to be 30th in the league in targets where Kyle Pitts is? He needs to be more top 15. He needs to be around 130 range. It would be my guess and targets. Those are the numbers that I'm looking at to see true improvement in Kyle Pitts next year. And I know the quarterback is going to be an issue and I know we want to use it as a, uh, as a, a sort of excuse why he might not put up those numbers. Can't be Arthur Smith drafted him. Terry Fontenot drafted him to put him here to be the focal point of this offense. Make him that guy. All right, coming up next, uh, it was a very interesting weekend in Major League Baseball. We'll get to the Braves later on in the show, but a little bit of a scuffle that left a bad taste in the fans' uh, mouth over the weekend. That's coming up next right here on A to Z on Locked On Sports Atlanta, free on YouTube, and wherever you get your podcast, search Locked On Sports Atlanta. Welcome back to A to Z here on Locked On Sports Atlanta, free on YouTube and wherever you get your podcast. Search Locked On Sports Atlanta. I am Mark Zeno. Thank you so much for making A to Z part of your everyday sports listen right here in Atlanta. And thanks for all the love and support that you guys have given Locked On Sports Atlanta, the entire crew here, a whole bunch of great shows. A to Z, Hitting Hard with John Chuckery, ATL Day Ones, Jarvis Davis, DeNeevich Batiste, our Braves postcast, Grant McCauley, Locked On Falcons with Aaron Freeman, Locked On Hawks with Brad Rowan, everybody here. At Locked On Atlanta, uh, really appreciates love and support. We're over a thousand subscribers already in just a really short time since we've launched, and we appreciate you guys sharing all the love and continuing uh, to be part of this whole endeavor with us. So, thanks again for all the support, and please keep it up. Share it with everybody you know. Follow us on YouTube, like and subscribe, um, and and just continue to be part of Locked On Sports Atlanta. Hit me up on Twitter at Mark Zinn. I love to hear from you guys uh, on what your thoughts are on Locked On Sports Atlanta and anything ATL sports. All right. Um, Speaking of Atlanta sports, this is kind of tied to Atlanta indirectly. And I, I figured it was worth a moment to discuss what happened with Josh Donaldson uh, and Tim Anderson of the White Sox over the weekend. Of course, Josh Donaldson, now a member of the New York Yankees, and uh, he takes uh, it, was the Yankees were taking on the White Sox in New York. And there has been a little bit of this buildup and dust up between these two teams dating back to their first series earlier in the year. But Anderson and Donaldson have been jawing. Anderson has been jawing at the Yankees. The Yankees have sort of been jawing back. Uh, And these games have been tight and contentious and everything else. Well, they get their game rained out on Friday night, and then they play a game on Saturday. And the game they play on Saturday uh, ends up with a dust-up-at-home plate between Josh Dawson and the White Sox catcher. I forget who it is. It's slipped my mind right now, but nonetheless. um, And it's over Tim Anderson Because allegedly, or I shouldn't say allegedly because Josh Donaldson confirmed it, not allegedly. Josh Donaldson called Tim Anderson Jackie. And Josh Donaldson explained after the game that he was using the word Jackie and calling him Jackie in deference to uh, Jackie Robinson. And he was doing that because Tim Anderson referred to himself in a 2019 Sports Illustrated article as the next Jackie Robinson in Major League Baseball uh donaldson continues to maintain that there was no ill intent behind it it was just you know good-natured ribbing if he took offense to it donaldson apologized in his post-game press conference uh and said he wasn't meaning for it to take intent he certainly wasn't meaning for it to be racist but anderson took it that way and the only thing that i can think of uh more than anything in this whole scenario and and i you know whether you believe donaldson's context or not i don't want to get into whether you think it was offensive or not I'm not really here to judge. If you find it offensive, then you're allowed to be offended by it. I mean, you know, that's that's your prerogative. I'm not going to tell you you're wrong for doing so. I will say, I think Donaldson is stupid for just for name calling. Like I get you're trying to get underneath the guy's skin uh, and, and do a little bit of that, but I don't know that, you know, this isn't like 10th grade high school baseball, man. Like it's the pros, but I would say this, and this is the one thing that kind of just popped into my head. If you're going to make a reference to a, a black baseball player, Uh, and there aren't many in Major League Baseball. If you're going to make a reference to a black baseball player, uh, using Jackie is a bad idea. Um, it's, It's never meant as a compliment. It's sort of like making a Hitler reference in general. You just don't do it because it never lands well. Making a Jackie Robinson reference, other than to applaud him for breaking the color barrier in Major League Baseball, is never going to land well, uh, when it's aimed at a, at a black person. Like, I, I just objectively, even on i a white guy, I feel like I could say that. Like, it doesn't, I'm not scared to say that. It was never going to land well. It was never going to sit well. I, I mean, I can understand why Anderson took offense to it and it becomes problematic. And Donaldson shouldn't have done it. Like, I think that's fair. I'm not going to sit here and try to presume his intent. And I'm not going to sit here and say that he was being racist or anything like that. I'm just going to say it was a stupid choice for for Donaldson and he shouldn't have done it now again knowing what I know of Donaldson from covering him here in Atlanta do I think he's an ill-intended guy no I don't think he's an ill-intended guy I think he certainly is that kind of he was great in the Braves clubhouse he was Jock Peterson before Jock Peterson was here we all loved it you know he had the, had the haircut and he had the you know he was, he was the guy that was out there just sort of the rah-rah guy that everybody liked to be around he was a lot of fun he talked a lot that was part of who he was He never said anything like that while he was playing here. Although he does claim that when he was with the Braves is when this whole started, when this whole thing started, Um, you know, the whole Jackie thing with, with Tim Anderson. So it just, it was a bad mistake by Donaldson. It was, it was something that didn't need to happen. And it really was a, uh, a bad move and major league baseball is going to investigate. And I won't be surprised to see them suspend him. And I think major league baseball is almost compelled to suspend him. Because Major League Baseball has forever had a diversity problem with the black community. Um, They don't have enough black people playing baseball. It's it's been a problem for a very long time. And they've tried hard to connect with inner cities. They try hard to connect with the African-American population. But those kids just don't get involved. They really, really don't. Um, Now, locally, again, here, I'm in Cobb County. You know, I go to a couple different batting cages around here and and work with a couple different instructors for my kids. I am actually surprised to see how many young black kids are playing baseball. I think it's great. But I was actually, you know, kind of surprised to see, wow, there's a lot of young ke- black kids playing baseball. And I'm not talking Little League. I'm talking like high school level and, and you know, trying to be super competitive, travel baseball kind of stuff. Um, you know, everybody plays Little League. It doesn't matter. You know, you, you do it because you get your kid involved and stuff. But I think Major League Baseball sort of almost has to – I'd be very surprised if they let this thing go. Um. In, in in a world where Major League Baseball is trying to get younger, they're trying to capture a wider audience, they're trying to get rid of the old white guy image, for them to not take some sort of action here and come up with some sort of, you know, even if it's slap on the wrist punishment, in, the, in reality, you're not going to suspend the guy for, you know, 20 games. But if you give him a three-game suspension or whatever it is, at least it sends the message, theoretically, that you give a rip, right? Like that you actually are paying attention and you know this stuff isn't okay and that, you know, you you want the black community to understand that you're empathetic to uh, everything that they go through. And that's not like, I don't think I'm being woke here or anything like that. I think I'm just being purely honest and understanding the situation. Again, I'm not going to sit here and say Josh Donaldson's a bad person or that he had ill intent or that what his intent was, period. I don't know what his intent was. I'm going to say it was just a stupid decision. Again, it's, it's, I use the Hitler reference. Anytime you invoke Hitler, it's never going to land well. People are always going to go, you know, so uh, if you're invoking Jackie Robinson, it better be to applaud him. Not anywhere presumed as a, you know, slight to anybody. That's the only way it lands well. And it didn't land well for Donaldson. And it didn't land well on Anderson. Uh, and oh, by the way, these two teams are probably going to meet in the playoffs again. This is not. They finish up their series. Anderson hits a home run last night, by the way, in the nightcap of their doubleheader. Uh, and gives the old Trey Young shh to the crowd. Uh, but this is not the end of this by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, I still feel like these two teams are destined to meet in the playoffs now, and it is going to be live ball, man. Get ready. Should be a lot of fun. All right, coming up next, speaking of live ball, Braves showed a little bit of life this weekend against the Barnes. They head home for a big seven-game homestand against the NL East, and the PGA Championship was an absolute kick to the huevos for one Mito Pereira. That's next here on ADZ on Locked On Sports Atlanta, free on YouTube, and wherever you get your podcasts, search Locked On Sports Atlanta. Welcome back to A to Z here on Locked On Sports Atlanta, free on YouTube and wherever you get your podcast. search Locked On Sports Atlanta. Again, give me a follow on Twitter at Mark Zeno. Follow the whole entire Locked On network here in Atlanta at Locked On ATL. Uh, Braves uh, take two of three from the Miami Marlins, and yesterday was a day where you kind of felt like the good Braves would have gotten a sweep. The Braves that we've watched all year long ended up dropping a game Um, not necessarily that they shouldn't have Sandy Alcantara is a really good starter in this league. Um, and he is very, very effective, a high strikeout guy, and he ends up going the distance and and the Marlins end up scrapping away the last game of the series, even though the Braves had a rally in the ninth inning that falls a little bit short. Uh, and now they, they head back home and they welcome in the Philadelphia Phillies, who they are tied with in the standings right now at 19 and 20, both teams, eight games back of the Mets. Miami just a half game behind them at eight. Uh, I'm sorry, the Phillies and Braves are 19 and 22, as my hamster completely falls off the wheel. Uh, Miami's 18 and 22, eight and a half games back. 19 and 22 are the Braves and the Phillies, eight games back of the New York Mets. Of course, Washington in dead last. And, you know, taking two out of three should be more celebratory right now than a lot of Braves fans are giving credit for, especially against the Marlins. You know, they got this big four-game series coming up here with the Phillies, and who knows if they'll get the game in with the weather the way it is. Uh very tough to uh, to predict. We're supposed to get a lot of rain here in Atlanta over the course of the next week, so um, it may throw some things out of whack a little bit. But, you know, I'd love to actually see the Braves keep playing right now because they start to look like they're playing a little bit better of baseball at this point in time. Um, so, again, with a seven-game homestand here, we're starting to get to that point where – after philadelphia miami i told you put june 15 circle the date on the wall that's when they finish up the series against the washington nationals that my guess is is they should be back above 500 and then it's just about playing good enough baseball to catch the team in front of you and hope they start to regress a little bit i hear so many people worried about what the mets stop worrying about what the mets are doing worry about the mets when you play them again and oh by the way you don't see the mets until after july 4th so don't even let the mets do what the mets do all right, you, you have a whole bunch of winnable games coming up uh, against teams that, as of right now, have a worse record than you do in Miami, Colorado, Oakland, Pittsburgh, Washington, and even the Chicago Cubs after that. Uh, as I said, there is a there is a big chunk of this schedule where the Braves can get right. They don't have to sweep everybody. All right? Try to take three or four from Philly, be happy with it. Take two or three from Miami, take two or three from Arizona. Guess what? You know, that puts you at seven and three over a 10-game span. You keep doing that. You're going to get out of a lot of big holes. Just start winning series, man. That's it. You know, just start winning series, and you should be fine for when the Braves really, you know, start to uh, need to, to turn it on here during the latter part of the summer. But there is a there is a overwhelming sense that, you know, they let one slip away. And you, I get a sense of feeling that like they do because they took the first two. And trying to finish off the sweep is, is always better. But still, uh, it, it's not unexpected that they lost yesterday. What was unexpected for losers yesterday was Mito Pereira at the PGA Championship. Boy, I don't know if I've seen anything like that in a really long time. Uh, And Mito Pereira is going to be remembered for a really long time for that drive that he had on 18. And I don't know if you saw this or not. Well, let's just recap. Mito Pereira went into the final round with a three-stroke lead. Justin Thomas, who won the thing, was seven strokes off the lead after shooting 74 on Saturday. He went four over on Saturday, had an awful day, and basically took himself out of contention. All Justin Thomas did was come back and shoot three under the next day uh, on the final Sunday, the best round of anybody inside the top five. And Mito Pereira shot five over, including with a one-stroke lead on the 18th t box. All he had to do was par the final hole, and he would have won the championship. He hits his tee shot, shanks it right into the water, and double bogeys the hole. And not only does he not win the tournament, not only does he not get into the playoff, he misses the playoff completely. I mean, that was just uh, – There is no more kick right in the you-know-what than what happened to Mito Pereira yesterday uh, in golf. And congrats to Justin Thomas. I mean, don't take anything away from JT. He played fantastic. Uh, I don't want to take anything away from him, but he shouldn't have been in that spot, period. Mito Pereira should have never allowed him to be in that spot. But in reality, there was a whole bunch of guys yesterday in the top five that started there Sunday, never even having won a tournament on tour, not even having won a tournament. So it was a group of people that we never expected to be there. Uh, and they were there, and, and Justin Thomas ends up rising to the top. And boy, Will Zalatoris keeps getting close, but no cigar, right? I mean, he is—he uh, has now got his fifth top ten finish in a major, and is yet to win one. I mean, it's just tough. That is just a, one of those things. It's like a real kick in the, you know, whats And uh, it doesn't feel good if you're if you're Will Zalatoris, to say the least. Feels really good if you're Justin Thomas, but you know, you get the point. And so uh, it was a it was a pretty exciting Sunday. To say the least, uh, at least if you're a golf fan and a golf aficionado, uh, Tiger Woods withdraws. By the way, uh, I, I keep telling you guys, and I don't want to keep you know beating this drum, but uh, Tiger Woods is not going to win another major. I know I said that like five years ago, when he won the Masters. But guess what? Uh, that was the anomaly. He he just physically doesn't have it anymore. Uh, Tiger Woods is lucky to, to make cuts at this point in time, and that's the only bet you should really take on Tiger Woods is for him to make a cut. His best round is always going to be his first, and his body's going to break down over the course of the next three days, and it's just not going to be pretty. And everyone wants to give Tiger credit for being out there, and I suppose we can because he almost lost his leg. I think there's credit in that, but it's Tiger Woods we're talking about, man. I mean, you know, uh, the, I don't know why this is the one reference that's coming into my mind, but, you know, watching Johnny Unitas play football at the end of his career when he could barely throw wasn't fun, right? That's not the way you want to remember him. When we, Peyton Manning went out winning a Super Bowl, but we, and that's the only reason we forget the Ducks, that he was fluttering all over the field. In the final year of his career when he needed to have neck surgery had neck surgery yeah you know, like you don't want to go out that way a, a tiger shouldn't go out this way he should go out a little bit of a better way than what he is you don't want him to be the celebratory guy on the course with just some golf claps as he as he hits a ball down the fairway this isn't like you know welcoming you to the masters where where um you know arnold palmer and, and tom watson you know are just are, are hitting the ball down the fairway and everybody applauds and they pick it up and that's the end of it, it you want tiger to go out on a little bit of a different note, a better note than that. So, uh, well, you know, who knows if he's going to play in the U S open. I don't think he is. Uh, I don't think he should, but you know, call me biased or whatever. And again, I'm not a tiger hater by any stretch of the imagination. Golf is so much more fun when he's involved and when he is hitting the ball well, and it's great to watch on TV when he's hitting the ball well, but he's not. And, uh, so it's, it's just, you know, we're always left with this vacuum of disappointment uh, wondering when we're going to see the real tiger again. I told you guys what the answer is. You're not. So there's that. All right. That'll do it for us here on this Monday. Uh, a lot to get to this week, folks, is uh, we get set for Memorial Day and the turn of the calendar into the month of June. So stay with us all week long. Again, give me a follow on Twitter at Mark Zino, Follow us all at Locked on ATL. Subscribe to us on our YouTube channel. Give us a thumbs up and a like. We certainly appreciate all the love and support and thanks for making A to Z your first listen every day. Make your next listen hitting hard with John Chuckery, the ATL sports talker, covering everything Falcons, Dogs, Braves, Hawks. He's got it all and some of the best takes in the business. John Chuckery hitting hard right here on Locked On Sports Atlanta. Back tomorrow with another edition of A to Z. You guys have a great day. Don't take any crap from anybody. See ya.